With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah, exactly. It makes it more worth it. It's not just like they were haggling over cash considerations. The most traded player in baseball history. Do you think it's possible the Blue Jays didn't make any of these moves the day before or didn't announce them because people would have thought that it was an April Fool's joke? <laughs> it's the six letters, seven letters. But uh, well, it was six letters the way they spelled it. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, where our base running mittens never get the grass stains. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and this is episode number 136. Welcome, and once again, also, Josh Housem. Welcome to Artificial Turf Wars. We're back. Baseball's back. It's a big day. Yeah, it is a big day. <laughs> well, it's a big day, and we thought we were going to be like, wow, we're going to be full up for a whole podcast. We're just going to be chit-chatting about games and pitchers and and then then blue jays management decided no no that's not what you need to talk about <laughs> you need to talk about a million transactions and roster moves first so that people can get oriented uh you need a scorecard for the things that have happened in the last like 24 to 48 hours yep <laughs> so uh, i'll run it down real quick kevin pilar is no longer a blue jay uh Socrates Brito uh, is a Blue Jay. Randall Grichuk will be a Blue Jay potentially for a long time, but Norris is not a Blue Jay. Clayton Richard is hurt. Uh, Clay Buckles and Vlad Jr. are back on the field. We'll go into depth on all that, and then we'll tell you about the Jays' 2-3 and three start and, and some of the uh, weird numbers they put up in this very short um, start to the season versus the Tigers and now the Orioles. We have your questions. And then we have a, a do-over for the home opener, which is probably not where you want your do-overs to be situated that uh, Josh brought to my attention, but I saw referenced a couple of other times. So the Kevin Pillar era, and I don't actually say that with a tongue-in-cheek for once uh, when we refer to the era of a specific player, is over in Toronto. What do we make of that? Shock at first. Uh, I mean, well, no, I guess not shock because it was obvious they were trying to trade him, but... It's just very strange to see a trade like this happen five games into the season. I'm kind of confused as well. Did something happen to the Giants outfield that I don't no, know? No, they had no outfielders to begin with. <laughs> so I guess we go back to, um, 
you know that's that whole why is why are things not happening in november and december and april or uh, january and february and, and that but i don't think we're we're going to get a real answer for that question until maybe there's there's a whole new cba in place yeah uh i i think it could be a while before we see changes to that especially you know, his teams didn't seem to be really complaining about the way things worked out for them. You know, a lot of teams save money on free agents. So, yeah, this is what you get. What happens, I guess, teams wait to the end of spring training to see if someone will sign with them. And when it doesn't, okay, now it's time to stop target, start talking trade. Yeah. So we have, uh, you know, a lot of Kevin Pillar plate appearances and outfield uh, antics in our memory banks, I think, which is you know he was the longest tenured blue jay that came up um but yet we're not really all that surprised to see him go i think that's maybe for a player that's been around that long um i think he's probably one of the the few that i i was sort of not not all that moved to see go like uh, there's very little nostalgia i i appreciate that kevin pillar was good in, in 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 some ways and and you know was part of some very good teams but you know, even when Jason Fraser left, I, I kind of got, you know, pangs for him coming out of the bullpen once in a while. I don't think I'm going to miss Kevin Pillar the same way. Well, and I think that's more so because of Pillar had essentially outworn his welcome. I mean, you know, he didn't really ever get better. And as this team got more outfielders, it was sort of like, well, we'd rather see these people play instead of him, which, you know, with relief pitcher, that's not like Jason Fraser. That's not really an issue because he's going to play and other people are going to play. but. You know, you talked about, you know, this looking back concept, right? I have the same reaction as you, but it is, I think, very important to mention that the Blue Jays in 2015 are a disaster if they don't have Kevin Pillar. They had their outfield was Pillar being amazing, Jose Bautista, who couldn't throw, and corner infielders in left field. (laughs) Chris Colabella, who was one of the worst defensive outfielders of all time. We played a lot of innings out there. Uh, yeah, and, and I mean, the Jose Bautista was not uh, fleet of foot out there either, in addition to not being able to throw. Um, right. He was, you know, he was a smart outfielder, but that didn't make him a good outfielder. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, like if you think of you and look at war statistics and all that, they really liked Pilar in that year and in the year that followed. And the Jays only made the playoffs by a game in 2016. So there's an argument to be made that, you know, you can make this argument for other players as well. And it's similar to like Chula Whiskey, right? It's like the the Jays don't make the playoffs without him, but it was still time for him to go. Yeah, he, he was very definitely a difference maker and not just for the, the one highlight reel catch, you know, every every couple of weeks that we, you know, we sort of think of when we think of Kevin Pillar. And I and I, I, I give him credit where credit's due there. But I'm also I guess there there that time to go for me comes because there's a general sense of sort of disappointment that he really, in his all of his time here, never learned to command the strike zone any better. And I understand not a lot of guys ever, you know, ever budge from that initial profile when they come up. But with all of the great hitters around him and all the people he could have looked to and all of the approaches he could have taken, he still swung at pitches that he was never going to hit and turned walks into strikeouts. And turned regular at-bats into pop-ups on the infield. Yeah. Uh no, he you know, he just didn't develop as a hitter. Like and that that's why it was time for him to go. I mean, they can get that from a minor leaguer. Yeah. Which, you know, they, they might do. 
Well, yeah, and and like we've said a few times, the defense was not there last year. Um, and given that you know Anthony Alford and Randall Gritchuk look like capable center fielders, I don't think they wanted to find out over the course of fifty or sixty games if they didn't have to whether the defense got you know rebounded back to where it was. Exactly. So farewell, Kevin Pilar. We appreciate what you did do. Uh, but I'm just so glad to not have to watch those plate appearances anymore on a regular basis. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's Kevin Pillar. Um, apparently not only when you trade someone, not only does he go away, but other people come back. So maybe we should cover that angle of it. Yeah. And you know, this, this is where the difference comes between Kevin Pillar and say Kendrys Morales or Russell Martin. Well, they got a decent player with Martin, but uh, you know, they got actual pieces for Kevin Pillar because he does have some value around the league because he's still has this reputation as a very good defender, even if, you know, his numbers have slipped in recent years or at least last year. Uh, so the, the big piece in my opinion is Juan DePaula. He's a 21 year old righty, but throws really hard. To put up really good numbers in the minors. You know, he's still in the lower minors, but, you know, this is a guy who was the key piece in the Andrew McCutcheon trade last year. He, he's 21. He's been traded three times, which is pretty impressive. He must look good to scouts from other teams. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, but he's got a real good arm. And, you know, like I said, he's put up really good numbers in the minor league. So, you know, give him a shot to develop and potentially he could be something. And then, you know, like Alan Hansen was a shortstop that they required and you know, he's a former top hundred prospect. He can play pretty much everywhere. That's more his role. And, you know, he'll be a, a bench utility player who can hit not that well, but you know, he's not John McDonald or Ryan Goins. You don't you don't have any love lost for the those two players with the bat? No, no, I, no, I really don't. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just a, a different level of back backup, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he's not a good hitter, but he's not a zero either. And then Derek Law is a righty reliever who, you know, he's had success and had not success. And he was DFA, so he's not even on the 40 man. But, you know, he could be just relief pitcher depth. But they got actual useful assets for Kevin Pillar is kind of the point. Yeah, no, and I think that's uh, completely the direction that you would want to see them go. Like I, even though, you know, I've I've expressed all of my displeasure there. I think absolutely. If it took a little longer to work this out because, you know, the giants were actually willing to part with something. Well then, okay. It took a little longer to work it out. Yeah, exactly. Makes it more worth it. It's not just like they were haggling over cash considerations. The most traded player in baseball history. Yeah. There were no cash considerations in this deal, by the way. Right. Well, there you go. So that's not, like we said, nearly the only deal of the day. Uh, I usually judge a trade <laughs> by the names involved in the trade. And I have to tell you, acquiring Socrates, I, I don't even care if he's any good. We have Socrates. Come on, man. Does it get any better than that? <laughs> it's also the second Brito that the Jays have traded for this offseason, which is kind of funny. But... Yeah, it, Socrates Brito is a really good baseball name. 100%. And I, I argued on Twitter briefly, and I didn't get a lot of support, which I'm surprised, that we need now to pursue Archimedes Camionero. Because you were not the first person to make that argument. That's why. Well, I'm sl- I'm an old man. I don't I can't, <laughs> can't be tweeting in the middle of the day at work and stuff. Yeah. 
No, but Brito's interesting. So uh, one of the funny things, like when Pilar was traded, everyone's like, okay, well, Alfred's going to come up for real this time, you know, which a little semi do over to us. We had Alfred on our 25 and 50. It was Rowdy Tellez. He was but, in Toronto. Right, because <laughs> this trade might have been happening. <laughs> um, but anyway, so we thought, okay, he's going to come up for real now. And he did. He's in the lineup as we're recording this. But he might not be there for very long because it seems like Brito was going to be the fourth outfielder. I feel like Anthony Alford is is getting the the shortest end of the stick. And as part of all that, sorry, machinations that I don't have on the paper here, I believe Dalton Pompey was placed on the 60-day DL. Yes, because uh, Brito and and Hanson are both on the 40-man rosters of their various clubs, so the Jays needed to free up a spot. Do, do Briefly, is this the end of Dalton Pompey as a Blue Jay? No, I don't think this changes anything. I mean, it, it was either the end of Dalton Pompey as a Blue Jay before this, or it's not now. All right. I just, that, um, 60 days. Well, I mean, he, you know, it's like with this concussion, it's his third one. He was going to be out for a while anyway. So I don't think this really changes anything there. And then he'll, he'll be allowed to go back to the minors on a rehab assignment when he's finally healthy. So I think it's actually him being injured means it more likely he was going to start the season or play in the season with the Blue Jays than before. All right. Fair enough. But uh, but just, well, we should talk about what Brito is, just yes. briefly. Uh, he's a very like toolsy guy, you know. It's like he's really really fast. He can play the outfield very well, all three spots, and he's hit in the minors a bit and not in the majors. Sounds like Richard Urania. Kind of like the outfield <laughs> version of him. <laughs> yeah, I, I I get that. That that's a pretty reasonable comparison, actually. Like you know, his minor league career, he's hit two ninety two with a three thirty eight on base and a four thirty two slugging, which is better than Urania. And he's only had one hundred and seventy five plate appearance in the bigs, and he has not hit. But no. you know, with those minor league numbers and with his speed and his defense, it's worth giving him a shot as a fourth outfielder to see if maybe he can learn to hit big league pitching. You know, so again, only one hundred and seventy five plate appearances. That's not exactly a large sample. Fair enough. Uh, and then Alfred goes to the minors to play every day. And who did the Jays give up for Socrates? So they tra- they traded Rodrigo Orozco, who's just a minor league outfielder, on his birthday. Happy birthday! <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday! You're traded. <laughs> we got you a new place. Well, sort of. Got a new place to work. <laughs> um, uh, he he was not a significant asset as far as the Jays were concerned. No, I mean he's you know a minor league outfielder who's I think he was in low A. Uh, no, he finished up in Dunedin. He actually had a decent enough year, but you know, he's twenty four, so you know twenty four years old in Dunedin is pretty far away. It's not exactly sounding like a big leaguer. No. Okay, so we had just talked about the fourth outfielder. Uh, is does does the extension that Grichik signed now make him the first outfielder? Yes, and the center fielder probably. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, Rowdy, Rowdy, Randall Grichuk was probably going to be playing center field with the Pilar trade. But I mean, I think that these two things kind of go together somewhat. The Jays like, okay, he's going to be our center fielder of the future now. They signed him to a five-year, $52 million extension. So I'm confused by this extension, to be perfectly honest. Randall Grichuk wasn't going anywhere for two more years, right? He, this year and next. He is 27, is he not? 
That sounds right. Yeah. So what about 30-year-old Randall Gritchuk? Doesn't make him like the half dozen guys who are like waiting for jobs right now out on the free agent market who still haven't signed after spring training. Well, I think mostly it's that he's a center fielder. Do right? we, I mean, do we center, know he'll I, be a center fielder in two and a half years? I don't know. He might. But, I mean, there, there's some under, understandable confusion about this aspect. But he also, I mean, we're talking about a guy who can play an above-average center field. He's as good as Kevin Pillar out there for, you know, when he was in St. Louis. And, you know, has an OPS plus, uh, you know, in the big leagues you know, in the last four full seasons of 111. I mean, that's a pretty good player. Fair enough. So why do Pilar's and his um, war numbers match up so well? Because Pilar was playing crazy above above center field in the first couple of years, and then Grichuk is in right field the last two years. Which he doesn't get the benefit of, even if he plays really well in right field, because there's a bump for playing in center field on the metric, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the big reason. It's just that, you know, like center field is an, a, the actually the war calculation, I think the position adjustment for center field is too high because you can have a below average player who's a great defensive center fielder and he's worth like three wins, except every team can find that guy. Right. So effectively, is he really three wins over any a other replacement player? Yeah, <laughs> replacement right? player. He's not. But, you know, but so Gritchick, he's a useful player. That said, it is still a little risky to con- to commit to him for five years. It's not a huge dollar amount. It's about $10 million a year. And it allows him to actually, he's, they're putting more money on this year's deal and next year's, and then it's cheaper in the free agent years. But it is a risky extension. All right. So, uh, yeah, I just, uh, there was a few people who were not Blue Jays centric, kind of wondering why you would give Randall Grichuk that kind of money. I guess, again, because the Blue Jays have, like an Anthony Alford, I know Grichuk has proven that he can play in the bigs, and Alford has not, but you're sort of, I guess he's not an untradeable contract at the end if you've front loaded it front loaded it a little bit. Yeah. I mean I should not try and say that sentence. Yeah. Basically I think the Blue Jays are betting on what he was for most of last year being the real Randall Grichuk. And that if he went out and did it this year, that his cost would go way up. Hmm. But but yeah, I mean this is not like the Ronald Acuna or the Elo Jimenez, you know, the deals or all or the nine thousand other extensions we've seen this offseason. Where it was like, yeah, we get why the team did that. There are questions with this one. All right. So Grichuk and his $50 million will continue to play for the Blue Jays for the foreseeable future. A man who will not play for the Blue Jays in the foreseeable future. And this was this was super late breaking. Like in the fifth inning, we got this from the Blue Jays. Bud Norris has been granted his release from his minor league contract. Yeah, that was a shock. Uh, we don't really know why yet. Uh, my my expectation is that he asked for it because there wasn't any real sign that he was coming up anytime soon. He wasn't throwing that hard. I think just yesterday, Charlie Montoya said he was throwing like 91 and he's usually around 95. Mm. But it's possible that they just released him because he was only throwing 91 instead of 95. Either way, that pitcher is not the one that they signed. No, uh, and it does save the Blue Jays the awkward, but Bud Norris is really a good guy, honest now, we asked him a uh, conversation when he did get called up. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we had had that conversation before. <laughs> it would have come up again. You know how everything gets recycled when someone reappears in the big league uniform. 
Yeah. <laughs> but he's gone. And yeah, it's really okay, to be honest. Although the bullpen is like <laughs> the bullpen is not deep. No, and that's probably we'll get to the Blue Jays in extra innings, but that's probably affected their early season results a smidgel, uh, as it were. Uh, one of the things that we were surprised to find out is before even getting through one turn in the rotation, Clayton Richard is out. Yeah, but just quickly before we talk about that, do you think it's possible the Blue Jays didn't make any of these moves the day before or didn't announce them because people would have thought that it was an April Fool's joke? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> but but I'm a naive kind of guy. Uh, <laughs> maybe there that was a factor. Maybe there was something going on there that I you know had not anticipated. Yeah, not that's food for thought. But for sure, <laughs> it's not an April Fool's joke, and all these things are real now, hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, back to Clayton Richard. Uh, we didn't even get to see him. That was, I don't know, ridiculous. Yeah, he was all ready to make his first start and then a stress reaction in his knee. I mean, there's no way that just popped up from him walking around. (laughs) (laughs) You think it happened during uh, some sort of warm-up slash bullpen slash exercise session for sure? Yeah, it probably was during his side session before his first start. He felt something and... You know, this is not the knee that he had damaged last year. It's his other knee. This is like the Devin Travis thing. But, you know, he's going to be shut down for a little while. And so Sean Reed Foley had to make the start. But, I mean, the Jays' pitchers are just dropping like flies. Yeah. Which is why it's good news that Clay Buckholz is back up on a mound. Yeah. And apparently, you know, he's going to start throwing in games. And he could be up in a couple weeks. You know, or or even shorter. Like he might only need two starts in the minors to get to seventy five or eighty pitches. At which point, you know, he can come up and start and go four or five innings, and they can go to Gavilio or Panone to finish that game. Yeah, and at this point, why the heck not? Is what we say about Clay Buckholz. Yeah, like, I, I mean, if he's healthy, he absolutely is the Blue Jays' best option. So much for all that you know, all that debate in spring training about oh, who is going to be healthy and who is going to be, you know ready for what it's like no just bring, get him up here he's better than everything we've got yeah and you know and sean reed fully showed why there are questions about him being a big leaguer which you know we'll get to that when we start talking about the games but it would make a lot more sense to have reed fully still getting a seasoning in the minors and clay buckles in the bigs and brucky is probably early may at the earliest i heard good news though that there's another guy in buffalo who is also doing baseball activities. You mean one Vladimir Guerrero Jr., perhaps? Ooh, you just said the name! (laughs) (laughs) That was not the reaction I I expected. (laughs) Just messing with you, son. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Vlad. Vlad uh, has been told... Now, this is what I thought was funny. Uh, He will be... He will be called up, quote, when he's locked in at the plate, unquote. So, like, tomorrow, presumably, is when he's going to be called up. Well, technically, the Buffalo games haven't started yet. He's just an extended spring. So those don't count. Aww. And then the first Buffalo games don't count because it's cold. And then it might not be, you know, telling if he's actually locked in. So yeah, he'll probably be up on, like, April 13th now. Now they don't even have to, like, keep him down for a few weeks. They can say, you know what? We were going to call him up on opening day, but they got hurt. Yep. 
And to be perfectly honest, uh, I think he was born locked in. And honestly, like, get someone who can hit into the lineup. <laughs> You're okay. So let's talk about everything now as it goes the jays were two and three when we started this podcast uh if the score holds i believe because i haven't gotten any more no- oh no i got a notification is it a good notification uh it's still do nothing yeah no sorry that's an old notification that i haven't swiped away uh yeah two nothing if this score holds uh because marcus stroman you know imploded haha <laughs> um give up two runs but this happens it is but uh the blue jays will be two and four uh, the Blue Jays have lost twice in extra innings. They have lost twice in one-run games. Uh, let's get you can tell me the how, how did the Jays hit in the first three innings, Josh? Um, they did not get a hit in the first three innings again. Yeah. So uh, Wilner tweeted it. I believe that would be one for fifty-five with a walk. And that one was a leadoff triple that didn't score. Well, obviously, because they're over. <laughs> yeah, but you could at least hit the ball. <laughs> uh, you know, for a team that literally only hits for six innings, I don't know, two no, and three. It's not even six. They've been ta- they've there been no hitters against them into the seventh twice. Okay, so for a team that's hitting maybe forty percent of the time, um, you know, I'd say two and three is actually pretty respectable. Yeah, it's, it's not really an excuse. It's horrible. It's like, what the heck, guys? <laughs> I mean, and you watch these games. It's just like teams just throwing junk and junk and junk, and the Blaze, Blue Jays here just swing at everything. Yeah, there, there doesn't seem to be anybody looking to uh, to put the ball in play or or to you know shorten up with two strikes or any of that that I've seen. There was a, what was it? It was a runner on third, o two pitch. And that was either the tying or go-ahead run the other night. And Gurriel... Last night. Last night. Tying run on third. Yeah. And Gurriel looked like he wanted to helicopter himself, like, right out of the ballpark with his swing. Yeah, his yeah I, was at the, I was at the game, and I couldn't believe the hack he took. A <laughs> huge swing on 0-2 with the tying run on third. Like, if there's any time, any time to shorten up and just put the ball in play, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like... So there's been that, uh, and there's also been a lot of striking out and a lot of... Now, to be fair, the first three innings against Kashner tonight, there were about four line drives that were harder than anything I'd seen in the previous five games. (laughs) And they all found gloves, so it really didn't matter. Yeah, but it's still the same idea. There's a a lot of outs on breaking balls. And until they show that they're not going to swing at breaking balls or change-ups early in the counts, they're going to keep getting them. And you, I, I'm mystified by hitting as that it can be a groupthink sort of thing, but it does seem to happen with, with certain teams where everyone will get into the same habits. And then if they start hitting well, the same thing seems to apply. They all go hunting the right thing at the right time. It's just... I, well, I, I wonder if part of that is like when no one's hitting, everyone's like pressing and they're like, okay, I need to get the first hit. We're being no hit again. Or I need to go get a hit. And some people get over aggressive. I mean, that's just a that's just a guess. I don't know if that's what happens, but it would, it would lend itself to that concept of, you know, contagious hitting. 
But we certainly do not have a Josh Donaldson-esque hitter in this lineup anywhere. You're right about Vlad and, and that whole expectation because it doesn't look like anybody is 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 waiting and looking for a specific pitch in a specific spot and really trying to punish anything. They're all just, I don't know, without a plan. Yeah, and before we get, get into the good from these these few games and the reason they have two wins, like if you should go down this lineup, right? You know, Gritchick's not in today, but... Add him to the list. So Drury, McKinney, Hernandez, Smoke, Gritchuk, Jansen, Tellis, Alford, Urania, and Galvis. Guriel is not playing today either. There's not, like you said, there's not a hitter in that group, really, that you're like, ooh, that guy, that guy's going to be a tough out every time. I mean, Smoke is solid. He's got two hits today, actually. Um, although one was an infield single into the shift. Hey. And... Well, actually, well, considering his attempt at the infield single last in, in the first game of the series where he hit a line drive off the pitcher, the shortstop had to dive to go and get it, and he got up and still threw smoke out. <laughs> Any infield hit is, is was worth counting. But, you know, among that group, there's not anyone who's like, this guy's going to be a really tough out every time he comes to the plate. And, you know, when you have a bunch of mediocre hitters, you can get into situations where your team just doesn't hit. Indeed. Uh, by as an aside, Miguel Cabrera, who I really do admire as a hitter, uh, it appears as if someone he waits for someone to grab a hand truck to wheel him up to first base now. Yeah, he's especially slow. Like he's <laughs> done. Um. So yeah, yeah that's my aside. Um. Yeah, but, but by the way, though, Smoke didn't run out a ball earlier in the season. I think it was in Friday, maybe. And the guy and the throw and the ball was thrown away and he got and the, and Cabrera had time to go run go off the bag catch the throw and come back to first base and still get smoke out. So you could be pressing on one hand and then like lackadaisical on the other hand. Yeah, yeah, it's not good. They they need to have uh you know, I know that the you know the the walk has not been so fashionable and that the strikeout's not a big deal anymore but somewhere in a lineup you need a marco scudero-esque guy who is going to be annoying for the opposing pitcher even just to frustrate him a little bit to slow him down to change his you know his look to foul off some pitches um or you get what the blue jays have got which is like we said not hitting for most of the time and guys having thrown like 70 pitches in the eighth inning it was freaking ridiculous so sixth inning no hitter and they come with 82 pitches. They come to take a pitcher out of the game for Baltimore. Seventh like, inning, I believe. Sorry. He's six and a third, whatever he had. But yeah, 82 pitches. Sorry, we got to come get you. Yeah, the crowd booed. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the Jays scored five runs off of the bullpen. Yeah, and it could have been six. <sighs> anyway. Yeah, so anyway, but uh, let's go to the good. <laughs> Blue Jays starting pitching, with the exception of the aforementioned Sean Reed Foley's complete and total implosion, has been absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So if we ignore Reed Foley, because he was never supposed to start anyway, that's 24 shutout innings to start. And then in this game, Marcus Stroman went another five before giving up a run. So 29 straight scoreless innings from people who were supposed to actually start in the first turn of the rotation. Yeah, that's uh, again, it, there were all kinds of records that they were comparing that to. It's been tens of dozens, uh, tens and dozens of years since team, you know, any team has started that well. 
Um, it, yeah. Now that said, they're not all going nine innings like back in the day when um, when we used to talk about starting pitchers doing that. But they're doing more than their job when they don't allow any runs in a string like that on multiple starts. That's crazy good. And I, I frankly, I don't expect it to continue. But it's been really cool to watch. Um, as much as you know credit to the pitchers that's also they're facing exactly the guys you said last week in this podcast that they would be facing detroit and baltimore who have their own run scoring problems yeah and you know obviously there's no team that's going to keep shutout streaks going but <laughs> but i mean if you just, that's why it's more i think to, we should just quickly look at some of like what made these guys do well too to see you know like the good signs that contribute to it i mean Strowman, was keeping the ball down, getting a lot of ground balls. Did that in this game too, which that's what Stroman does. Yep. You know? and, and Sanchez was throwing harder again, which is yes. <laughs> you know that's pretty big. <laughs> you know, and you know because last year that was a big issue. Like his velocity was down, mm-hmm. and you know there's all this talk about his other stuff, but you know, for him, velocity is what makes him special. He was also throwing curveballs. Yeah. You know, and he, he hit 97, a little over 97, actually. He threw a bunch of curveballs, a bunch of curveballs that were not in the zone, but he threw a bunch, and he only threw a couple change-ups. So, you know, it was more the Sanchez that we were used to seeing. Mm-hmm. Actually, Brooks is saying he threw as many change-ups as curveballs. I was going to say, I thought that was what someone mentioned. But regardless, comfortable with three pitches and velocity up not just like one mile an hour over last year but i think it was like three miles an hour right off the bump um is everything we we were hoping for from aaron sanchez now whether that translates well, into a, great it was actually like one and a half but it was like three miles an hour from his opening start last year that's what i'm sorry i'm, I'm i mean like compared to this time in the season right so three miles an hour is three miles an hour in my brain <laughs> my yeah and then we, brain. Right. And so it's a good first sign for the guy who's always hurt. Lately. Yeah. I shouldn't say he's always hurt. He's been hurt for the last couple of years. And then, you know, Shoemaker, we talked about this on our podcast, the last one. And when he was first acquired, got a really good splitter. And, you know, that's the type of pitch that against a team that doesn't have good patience or isn't that good hitters like the Blue Jays, you know, gets <laughs> a lot of strikeouts. He got a ton of swings and misses on his splitter. Sweet. And yeah. same thing with Trent Thornton in his extreme spin curveball, over 3,000 RPM, and the average is like 2,500. Trent Thornton was a shocker. <laughs> I was watching him going, who's this guy? What? Why have we not heard of this guy up till now? Well, I, you know, he, we did talk about this, too, when he was acquired, that this he has this extreme curveball. And, you know, he was throwing strikes, right? He didn't walk anybody. He gave up two hits in five innings. But, you know, he's not that right nobody's nobody's that <laughs> to be honest but you know in, in the minors he throws strikes but he wasn't you know as stingy so it'll be interesting to see with him though because he does he is a, an extreme strike thrower but not a power strikeout guy but if he starts to lean towards the latter the former might go away a bit too right but either way if he's if he's if he maintains that control i think we've got something that the blue jays can certainly work with yeah. I mean, they, you know, they gave up four years of a led Miss Diaz for him. So it wasn't like he was just, you know, that was a small nothing trade because Diaz was good last year. Mm-hmm. 
so should we talk about the, you know, one of the things that Aladdin's Diaz led to was uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. ending up by, by a kind of a circuitous route at second base. I think we need to talk about that. Go ahead. He can't play second base at the moment. <laughs> he doesn't know how to get out of the way of the runner. Um, and I, I would think playing shortstop, he would know that. But he gets it's like he's confused coming from the other side as to how to orchestrate that. Uh, he can't make accurate throws to um, to first on a consistent basis. And he uh, he really left Galvis hanging with a little short arm throw um, into center field as well. So what the heck is he supposed to be doing out there? And why can't he do it? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, he's not doing anything well right now. And it's, you know, Richard Urania is. So it's very going to be very interesting when Hansen has to come over. They might send Gurriel down. I don't know. I don't expect that, but they might. And yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> you, you saw all those same things, right? Yeah. I mean, I was at that game when he threw the ball in the center field. And <laughs> Galvis, the way he looked at his glove, I was like, man, you're disappointed and shocked all at the same time. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so Urania, I mean, sorry, Guriel, he was never supposed to be able to really play shortstop, but the expectation was that he'd be able to handle second, third, left, even if they really, really had to center field. Um, and he was better than this at second last year. So there, I think it could just be like early season, maybe taking his struggles at the plate into the field and he's just not mentally right. I don't know, but something needs to change for sure. Yeah, let's hope he uh, fixes that up. Uh, any other early season highlights slash lowlights that you wanted to cover before we move on to the uh, the brief break before our questions section? Yeah, one quick one. Joe Biagini. So he kind of oh, yeah, gets he's good off. again. Well, yes. <laughs> but one thing he's doing, he's mostly, he's still throwing a few curveballs, which I wish he would just junk it entirely, but he's gone to a slider as his strikeout pitch. And it's a, a very good one and because that curveball, when he throws it, it comes out of a different arm slot than his fastball or like he releases it higher. So it's easier to pick up. But his slider coming in at 88, 89, and it's got a good down and away bite on righties. And he's got seven strikeouts and three and a third. I'll take it. Also, yeah. uh, he has cut out a lot of the adjustments and shimmies and shuffles in his delivery from what I could see. Like it's a it is not a year and a half between pitches, even though he wasn't no, doing it, that in spring training. Yeah, he, it's definitely much more streamlined. And and the bullpen in general has been good. Even Elvis Luciano was good in his timeout, his first appearance. I feel like the, the problem with the bullpen is the first two or three guys, or maybe even sometimes four guys as we've seen are, you know, they have their roles and they've, they're slotted in well. Uh, but when the Blue Jays have got to extra innings, uh, they literally have run out of guys who are ready and good all this, you know, at the same time. And, and, with the way they've been hitting, it, it seems it, they were 0-2. Um, it seems like a bit of a lost cause once you get past, like, the 10th. Yeah, well, especially with the way the early season stuff goes where the starters don't go deep in games. I think Strowman threw 80-some-odd pitches in that first game and got taken out. Um, so, like, you know, on a normal game, if he's throwing that money, he probably goes eight game, eight innings or even nine, probably eight. And then you can go be a genie, Giles, and you still have everybody else left. But this way they they were going into you know what they didn't want to early on now hudson is supposed to be better than that and he was and he has been in his other appearances but you know it, it's just i think that that's not really representative of the depth although it's not very deep indeed 
All right, we're going to take a little break. We're going to come back. We're going to have things that you want to know about the early season Blue Jays uh, right after this. And after a breather, we are back. Yes, we are soldiering onward with the most important part of the program, according to the five people who asked us questions. (laughs) The questions part (laughs) of the program. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? All right. First one from uh, Tammy Beth. Tammy underscore Beth. Tammy Rainey. Um, worth discussing whether this has implications for smoke. This would be the Grichuk, uh, the Sorry, not the Grichuk. The uh, Pilar. Pilar trade. Being the oldest veteran hitter from the previous core who remains. Um, I mean, I don't know necessarily that this specifically does. I think the Smoke's situation has always been the same where if they get good value for him, he'll go because there's not really anybody pushing him out. I mean, Rowdy Tellez is, you know, he's not Anthony Alford. And he's not, and the Blue Jays, I mean, the Blue Jays right now, they had, you know, they had going into this Pilar trade, they still had Teoscar Hernandez and Billy McKinney and Randall Grishok, four guys for three spots. So this really opened that up, the guys that they wanted to play. Whereas Tellez is not that. No. <laughs> I also think and Smoke I think, is an outstanding value for where he's playing. Whereas, was Pilar that? I'm not sure he was. And, and I think that the defensive value that Smoke brings is important, especially considering what we talked about, the Gurriel's throwing. All right. Hit me with the And quest- also, oh, go ahead. just quickly on that, uh, Freddie Galvis has the two low throws. Everything's on the money. I love it. <laughs> it is nice to see. Yeah. He crossed over the bag where it looked like Arania um, uh, wanted the ball, and he was like, nah, man, I'm taking this myself. <laughs> it was on the money, too. Like, sweet. <laughs> yeah. Okay, next question. Similar tone from Rowdy Luquez at Split Letters. Who's going to be the oldest player on the roster come the end of the year? Feel free to split up the bullpen from everything else if you want. So I, I asked you about this before we came on. Javi Guerra is the current oldest Blue Jay player at only 33. Just, I don't know, it seems earth-shatteringly young compared to what we've seen over the past few years. Uh, but it sounds like he might be, be traded at the deadline for something if he's doing Or well. released before that. Either or. <laughs> Either he's doing well or not well, and he's not around. I'm, I'm inclined to say Justin Smoke again. Because I think he will be part of this team. Um, at the uh, at the end of the year, who do you got? Uh, I'm just checking to see who's older, Smoke or okay. So Matt Shoemaker is three months older than Smoke, so it'll be Matt Shoemaker. <laughs> I I think both of them will last the season, even though both of them are definitely trade candidates. All right. Uh, next question from Zuran uh, at Yodakiro. No, Yodariko. I'm sorry. Uh. That's a new question asker because I probably would have looked up how to pronounce both of those things ahead of time. What do you think happens <laughs> with the outfield if Alfred and Pompey, oh, funny news about that, still struggle to stay on the field this season? Is McKinney an everyday outfielder? I think that they're trying to find out the answer to that second part. Uh, you know, Right now, he's going to play every day or most days with Socrates Brito filling in every now and then. But 
I think they want to see what he is and they want to see what Teoscar Hernandez is. I think it's more that than, you know, Alfred and Pompey. I think that they're really going to determine what happens going forward. Right. What do we got next? So this is from, I'm going to jump up one because this might work out better the other way. <laughs> you don't want to give me the roster implications question? Come on. <laughs> it's more, it's, no, it's more that I want you to do this one. This is from Turf <laughs> Ferguson at Turferg. There are thousands of goodbye songs that the Blue Jays can use in a farewell montage. In tribute to Kevin Pillar's many years of walkout music, which would be the absolute worst? I would have to say uh, the one that came to me immediately was Crash Test Demi's Superman song would be the worst send-off for, for Kevin Pillar because it's the most down, funeral-esque uh, take on his nickname that really doesn't represent anything that he did here at all, and yet it still seems to refer to him. I think you could do the same thing with Kryptonite by Three Doors Down. I think that was the name of the band. Yep. You know, Kryptonite. <laughs> it's not the thing you want to be associated with. Uh, yeah. So as much as we saw, you know, didn't love Kevin Pillar, we don't want him to be reminded of death and weakness as he heads out the door. <laughs> by the way, you know what? I'll save this for my final thought. Go ahead. Next one. All right. Curtis Butcher at Curtis Butcher one asks, if Hanson and Brito need to be added to the 25 man roster, who's out? Do you think Luciano will be protected all year or will be on the bubble with each roster decision? So with, with who's out, uh, Brito is going to be Alfred, which we discussed earlier on. And Hanson, I would have said for sure Richard Arania, but you know, I think it could be Guriel if he continues to struggle. I mean, Hanson, he might be here tomorrow or the day after that. We're recording this on Tuesday, so Wednesday or Thursday he might be arriving. And I still think it's Arania, but Arania's playing very well, so I wouldn't be shocked if it isn't. And as for Luciano, I think I think it'll be other people that they try to get rid of before him, which is just evidenced by the fact that he's on the roster right now. Yeah, I think you have to keep giving Luciano the ball often enough to see what he can do. Because keeping him there as the absolute last resort in the bullpen defeats the entire purpose of having him in the first place, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and, and to their credit, they are doing that. I mean, his first appearance was in a close game. Well, well, look, to be fair, when when has it not been a close game here? I know, but I was going to say, but the first <laughs> batters he's facing were Nicholas Castellanos and Miguel Cabrera. <laughs> okay, that I'll buy is a good time to, to test him out. Yeah. All right. All right. That concludes it. the exciting questions portion of the program, so we can move on to the even more exciting do-over portion of the program. Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... Um, I think the first question we sort of asked uh, when we started to do the do-over was, what if you were bad at the most basic aspect of your job? Um, should, should you get another shot at fixing that? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you mentioned that stadium operations for the home opener may have done exactly that thing. Explain how things went at the home opener. So it started off when people were coming into the stadium, they opened the doors early. There were, you know, the the actual attendance was over 40,000 or so, but, you know, there were probably still fifteen to 20,000 people in there early for the giveaways and just to, the baseball atmosphere. There was no credit card payments available. <laughs> during for any of the concessions or in this in the store the digital payment system was down in the stadium 
they just hadn't turned it on yet or there was some kind of complication. But regardless, that seems like something you'd want to have a backup system in place for. And a backup for the backup. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and it just went down from there. I mean, the, the next thing that happened was, you know, before the game, they always have up on the stadium on the on the jumbotron the pitching matchups pop in along, along with the lineups and then marcus stroman was listed for the blue jays which is correct but his last name usually has an a in it <laughs> they put s-t-r-o-m-n strum yeah in in four foot high letters for forty thousand <laughs> yeah. people to look at yeah i mean that's really bad you know, one thing, you know, the first thing, it's like, okay, maybe there was a glitch in the system and something happened. Can be forgiven, but probably shouldn't be. You know, you probably should have redundancies. That one cannot be forgiven. No. But the the, the piece de resistance, the cake topper was. Yeah. But also, it's not like his name is like Grusalanic or <laughs> Saltalamachia. It's Strowman. <laughs> it's six letters, seven letters. But, uh, well, it was six letters the way they spelled it. So yeah, it exactly. Yeah, but the worst one was so they did their pregame hype videos, and then 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 they do in time to introduce the lineups. They introduced the Tigers last. Yeah, that is like the I, I've been to a lot of or watched a lot of first games from a lot of teams. I've never ever seen the visiting team introduced last. Because you're supposed no. to, like, you very quietly introduce a visiting team, you respectfully say all their names, and then you start to get people pumped up for the home team, so that when the, you know, when the actual action starts on the field and the big noises go off, everybody's, like, screaming for their guys to do stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But we got the opposite. We got the opposite. Did, had they never watched a first baseball game of the season? Like, I don't know, say last year's? I guess I don't know. It was really weird. It, yeah, so it just took all the energy out. I don't. I didn't really get it. Also, so I, Sportsnet did the. So this is not the stadium off people. But Sportsnet showed one of their hype videos, and it started off with like Vlad Guerrero, Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, <laughs> three players who are not on the roster. And then it finished up with like the wait is almost over, and those three guys. <laughs> you're hyping the season with players that aren't here. Oh, man. You're here on the wrong day. <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Oh, well. Maybe next year. Um, but in the meantime, what's the do-over? My goodness. There, oh, there's no geez. more home openers. Okay, if you get this team to the playoffs somehow, uh, free cake for everybody who comes uh, to the to the first playoff game. And we'll forgive the botched home opener atmosphere. And I thought it's like, okay, maybe they're doing everything else wrong so that they can actually win a home opener for once because they haven't <laughs> done it in like nine years now. Maybe it's eight years, but they still lost. <laughs> so it didn't help. Until Adam Lynn throws out the first pitch, you will not win a home opener. I like that. It's it's the curse. It's the unspoken curse of the Lind. All right. Hit me up with your final thought. So what I started to say before we were talking about Kevin Pillar and going out the door. The Blue Jays' attendance in the second, the first game of this Orioles series was just over 10,000, which is the lowest it's been in almost a decade. And then I think it was announced at 12,000 for 
tonight's game, which again, it's Tuesday night. On StubHub, people are already buying at higher prices tickets for that first San Francisco game on April 23rd. Mm. I think that like, so there was a comment made by Ross Atkins that it's like, it's not a popularity content. You know, this, we don't do this for popularity. We do this for the baseball. But like in terms of selling tickets, I think this could have a, an actual impact. Well, for like 30,000 tickets over the course of a whole season. <laughs> Which, you know, that's not insignificant. That's what six hundred thousand dollars or something like that but well except that all of those tickets are bucks. currently ones on StubHub, <laughs> which the jays get a cut of but the point is that there's a demand to see pilar return maybe that was the calculus like people weren't there caring when he comes making me a boost in attendance in those two games <laughs> i feel like this might be your version of the april fools podcast yeah um, but, so, I, but I, I, I i i was i i can't go to the game so i put my tickets up there and they sold and i was like holy crap <laughs> Okay, I will give you another Kevin Pillar final thought. Uh, Kevin Pillar is narcoleptic, um, or at least he appears <laughs> to be from many, many still photos of Kevin Pillar. So Gregory Bollock at Greg Bollock, um, and I hope you can put this link in the podcast uh, post. Um, he had uh, some good photographic evidence that uh, Kevin Pillar has struggled with narcolepsy through his entire career, and I think it's probably the funniest thing to ever come out of out of kevin pilar's at bats uh and performances it, it, it is quite the uh the visual treat so check that I out thought, i thought quad a player was doing that too might be but that's the the one i found was uh was from balak uh first observed by noah sherman yeah so. unfortunately i can't put this link in with the uh, current system we now use because we don't create podcast posts anymore but you can just you know listen to what greg just said and go find their twitter accounts absolutely all right because you can rewind uh we're not gonna rewind though we're gonna forge forward into the end which is to say that i was greg wisniewski at coolhead 2010 and you were joshua Hausam at joshua Hausam, and this was artificial turf wars episode number 136 yes the regular season edition for the first time in 2019 we'll talk at you next week